0: Hello and welcome to the world-famous Driving You Crazy podcast. This is the show where we talk about all kinds of things, transportation. I am the transportation reporter and the traffic anchor for Denver 7 News here in lovely Denver, Colorado, broadcasting actually from my basement. My name is Jason Luber, and today on the show, we have the flip side of the argument I brought up last week. Last week, I talked with Rob Toffness, and he's the founder of the Denver Bike Lobby, and he's very into bikes and uh, bike advocacy, and he holds the feeling that bike advocates have that a city street should be closed off to all cars and basically be used exclusively for bike riders and for pedestrians. As you can imagine, not everyone likes that idea. One of the groups fighting for what they believe is right is the Freedom to Drive Coalition, now, since we had one side on last week, I'm going to have another side on this week. I will speak to Kelly Sloan, the executive director of the Freedom to Drive Coalition, in just a bit. If you want to hear last week's interview, I posted the link to that show in the description of this show. Interestingly, every time I promote one of these podcasts, I usually do that. I, I send a message out on Twitter which is at Denver 7 traffic. And I always send the topic of the show and links to the show there on that Twitter post and, and tag the people that are involved in the show. And I did that last week with Mr. Toffness. And usually that guest retweets the original tweet sometimes with, or without a comment And it helps promote that broadcast and people can then more people can be exposed to the content, which we that that's that's the ultimate goal to get as many people to uh, participate and to listen as possible. Well, usually those guests retweet. Sometimes they don't. And in this case, Rob didn't do that with my tweet. He didn't retweet. He didn't resend it out, which I thought was odd. I, I I don't know how to take that. I, I have my theories of of why he didn't retweet it, but I'll I guess I'll I'll just keep it to myself. But I I did think it was interesting that he uh, didn't deem that it was retweet worthy. I I thought we had a good conversation. We'll have a good conversation with Kelly Sloan here from uh, the Coalition, the Freedom to Drive Coalition, coming up in just a little bit. Anyway. We've talked a lot about Tesla here on the show. And this is some strange news that just came out about Tesla that Tesla has dissolved its entire public relations department, technically becoming the first automaker that we know of who doesn't talk to the press. Tesla hasn't responded to any press inquiries in months, apparently. The move has been confirmed, at least at the highest levels at Tesla with a source saying, we no longer have a PR team. <laughs> That's an interesting way to go about your business, I suppose. Uh, the last person known to officially be in charge of public relations and communications at Tesla left the automaker back in December of last year to join Impossible Foods. That's the company that makes those meatless burgers. Following her departure, virtually every other member of Tesla's public relations team either left the company Or has been moved into other positions at Tesla. And Tesla seems to have a few PR managers in in Europe and in their Asian market. But the core global team working out of the United States there in California has basically been dissolved. It's gone. In the past, CEO Elon Musk has had some harsh comments for the press, which he believes treats Tesla unfairly. So... It makes sense that if Elon thinks reporters are not being fair, then why would he have a public relations department to have relations with the press that he doesn't think is fair to Tesla? Because Tesla receives almost more press than about any other automaker, and reporters who work with them regularly said their PR team always seemed understaffed. And Tesla, apparently right now, is leaving all press inquiries unanswered and doesn't seem to comment on any story. (laughs) It seems that the only official response that the press can get from the company is from Elon directly, and usually that comes from his Twitter account, from his tweets, but hey, look where Tesla's stock is right now. Maybe maybe compared to all the other automakers especially, I I guess they're still doing something right. I guess maybe Elon wants to uh, take full control over any of the uh, PR that's coming out of out of his company. So, Well, I received this letter to the Driving You Crazy uh, podcast inbox. If you have a question, you could always send them to the Driving You Crazy podcast uh, at gmail.com. I don't, don't put the, but just put Driving You Crazy podcast at gmail.com and it will get to us. Or you could always call the phone number at 303-832-0217. It's Bob from Aurora, Colorado, who writes, What's driving you crazy? Jason, please settle a bet. Let's say a traffic light is malfunctioning and giving blinking yellow for the north-south traffic and blinking red to the east-west traffic. In this case, what is the traffic in each direction supposed to do? All right, it's very simple to answer. In a situation where the lights are flashing that way, the drivers with the yellow flashing lights they should slow down and then proceed with caution. They have the right of way. The drivers facing the red flashing lights need to treat it as a stop sign, come to a complete and full stop, and then proceed through the intersection when able with caution since the traffic, the cross traffic that has the yellow flashing lights, they don't have to stop. While it might seem courteous to stop and let the cross traffic out, if you see the yellow flashing lights, It actually creates a nuisance and a safety hazard for the people behind you, and they might be treating it right, and you might not be treating it right. And so don't stop if you see the yellow flashing. Keep going. Just slow down and be cautious. So in your scenario, the north-southbound traffic has the right-of-way and doesn't need to stop. Those drivers should slow down, continue through the intersection, but they should be especially aware of the drivers going east-west, ...who aren't familiar with what to do or have pulled out thinking it's their turn because the lights are flashing red... ...and they might not be able to see what the other lights are doing. They might think that all four ways are actually flashing red and thinking that the cross traffic should be stopping for them too. Those drivers going east or west, seeing the red flashing lights, they they should come to that complete stop... ...and then yield to the north-southbound traffic until there's a break when they can cross or they can turn... I I would hope that whenever this happens, law enforcement in the area would be notified to help with traffic control, and then they can notify the proper agency to fix the traffic lights, because your scenario can be especially dangerous on roads with two or three lanes for somebody to try to get across. Now, if this settles the bet there, Bob, uh, all all I ask is, and and if you win, all I ask is for, uh, for a measly 15%. So there you go. Last time on the show, I had a lengthy conversation with Rob Tofness. and Rob is the founder of the Denver Bike Lobby and advocate for fewer cars, not only on downtown streets, but really all streets. We covered a lot of issues, but really centered on the desire of not only Denver, but really the, desi- the desire by other leaders in most metro cities to make driving so difficult and inconvenient that people will ultimately stop driving and take transit or walk or bike if they're able to. Rob and others on his side hope that reality comes to fruition. There are other people who are fighting against those ideas, and one of the groups is called the Freedom to Drive Coalition. They say the coalition stands for the defense of all citizens' liberty to travel in the vehicle of their choice, free from governmental mandates and legislative efforts to push cars off the road in favor of pedestrians or force public transit on properly preserved and maintained roads. Joining me now is the executive director of the Freedom to Drive Coalition, Kelly Sloan. Kelly is a columnist for Colorado Politics, as well as for the Washington Examiner. Kelly is also a public affairs and political communications consultant and owner of Sloan and Associates Public Affairs. Kelly, welcome to the world-famous Driving You Crazy podcast.
1: Thanks for having me. Appreciate it.
0: So, Kelly, before we get into the meat of these issues, let's find out a little bit more about Kelly. What made you decide to write for Colorado Politics, the Washington Examiner? What made you decide to become a uh, executive director of the Freedom to Drive Coalition?
1: Well, they pay me, so there's <laughs> that. But, uh, <laughs> no, no. Um, I've always been a writer, uh, you know, my first uh, my first political job actually was uh, a volunteer job. I'm from Canada, I was born in Calgary, uh, Calgary, Alberta, and my first political job was on a, a campaign for a member of parliament that was running up there, and uh, very quickly, I was, you know, just a, I was in high school, I was just a volunteer, but they quickly realized I could write, which apparently is an unusual talent these days, and uh, so I, I became kind of assistant uh, communications director for them. You know, work for our college paper, so I've always been, you know, writing all my life. And uh, uh, apparently, a few people wanted to, wanted to hear what I read, what I said. So, um, uh, so that kind of got me into the into the journalism side. I, I you know I served as an editor for, you know, a few uh, trade publications, a couple magazines uh, for the Statesman uh, back in the day. Uh, did some reporting for the Business Times, and then just kind of morphed from there into. Uh, more of the public affairs realm and the opinion opinion writing. So here I am.
0: The argument on the other side is that cities have always given preferential treatment to drivers since the invention of the first automobiles, and that it's time for a change. Is it time for a change, or can we all commingle? Commingle,
1: but it's you know it's not time to radically change how we envision transportation simply because. The reality is not there you mentioned uh you know you mentioned reality in, in your introduction uh you know the problem with with a lot of these uh, initiatives you know these anti anti-car uh, efforts that you see it uh, you know, with local and state governments is their anathema to reality the reality is the fact is that most people get around especially in a place like denver uh, by car you know we're uh, we're a very spread out city we're not a you know very tight uh dense city like Chicago or New York where public transportation has you know a, a larger role. You know it's easier to get around Manhattan on public transportation than it is to you know get from uh, Highlands Ranch or Aurora to downtown. Uh, so the fact is you know most people do get around by vehicle. Most people in America like the freedom of having a car, like having the freedom of you know, leaving when you need to leave, getting to where you need to, where you need to go in, in the most direct route. And that's not going to change just because we're putting policies in place that uh, try and torture us into making different decisions. So, no, it's it is it, it's not time to radically rethink how we're how we're doing transportation. The reason that our transportation infrastructure is designed around the car is because that is what most people are using. Uh you know to to the extent that you know a lot of people do, do use bikes in this town, that's fine. I have no problem with that I you know uh, uh, I know a lot of people ride bikes I think it's a it's a fine choice if that's if that's your your uh, that's your choice. but for people living in the suburbs that are trying to commute downtown whenever downtown reopens again or just trying to go shopping on the weekends or trying to go out to the to the mountains for the weekend uh, that's not an option for everybody it's not an option for most people so, we believe that you know trans- transportation infrastructure and trans- transportation spending needs to be directed to where it's going to be most good and where it's going to help most people, and that is with roads, bridges, and uh, vehicle transportation.
0: I-, I think on their side, their argument would be that it's time for a downtown urban area like a downtown Denver, downtown Houston, downtown whatever— to be closed off basically to all vehicles, maybe have deliveries in there at certain times, maybe have some ride shares, but really find a uh, 10, 15, 20 block radius that's just totally closed down to all vehicles, period. So it's almost creating a, a urban or dense urban versus suburban uh, conflict here.
1: Well, I mean, if you really want to permanently permanently kill off downtown i guess that would be uh probably the best way to go about it if you want to keep people out of the downtown core uh sure go ahead and do that uh you know, right now we're seeing be- because of a not just covid but because you know, for a lot of reasons uh you know the, the covid pandemic and the shutdowns uh you know have obviously limited people from going downtown more people working from home so there's not as many people going to their offices the uh time with restaurants shutting down the uh uh performing arts Center that kind of thing are keeping people out of downtown already. On top of that, you have some increased crime problems in the downtown core and, and, and unrest, which are also serving keep people uh, from going downtown. And then when you can compound that with you know taking away parking spaces, shutting down roads unnecessarily, now, I will say that you know we agree as a as a coalition with you know, shutting down roads right now like uh, like Larimer square and, and a couple others to allow, restaurants to expand their capacity. That makes sense. You know, it's a uh, responding to to a crisis and it's a good response. You know, it's it, if it's something that helps keep restaurants open, uh, we're all for that. The problem is when you do this on a larger scale, like some of the proponents are talking about, you're going to keep people from going downtown and going to those restaurants, going to these other businesses altogether. Uh, so I don't see how that's going to help improve the quality of life downtown when you don't have the people coming downtown, they're going to, you know, patronize these businesses, uh, you know, try and go back to their offices, you know, try and breathe life back into this downtown core, which, you know, right now is uh, not much more than the ghost town, unfortunately.
0: When I talked to Rob Toffness with the Denver bike lobby last week about this, he said in in terms of closing off streets and not having people from outside the city core come in, He said that there are more people, actually, when you close down streets, going to be at these businesses, be at these restaurants, because they are more attractive then. Uh, And so it's okay to lose some of the business from the outsiders as long as we have the business from the insiders. But I think it would be worrisome to city businesses, restaurant owners, who would, and and really the city in general, who would lose out on all those sales, uh, obviously sales and sales taxes from the people who aren't going to be coming in from the suburbs who typically have a little bit more to spend.
1: Well, absolutely. I mean, that's the purpose of the city center is to be, you know, the city center is to be the, you know, the the center for our our, uh, culture and arts and uh, entertainment, business, commerce. And, you know, if you don't have these people coming in from, you know, we don't have enough people living downtown, they're going to patronize, but they want to create down, make downtown its own little commune or something. I, I guess that, that, that's one way to do it. Uh, but you're essentially going to kill off downtown. You're going to kill off a lot of these businesses. And you're going to kill off what makes the city what it is uh, or any, any city for, for that matter. Uh, and so I'm, I'm not really sure what their, what their argument is. You know we're, uh, why they would want to do this to, you know, this beautiful city of ours, which, you know, right now is uh, really struggling to, to get back. I, I saw a report not too long ago uh, that leasing uh, downtown is has reduced by, I think, 70, uh, 64%. Uh, that's office leasing. That's a lot of people that aren't coming down to, you know, eat lunch or stay after for dinner or, you know, obviously not them taking the shows now anyways. But we may lose that permanently. And some of these policies are going to help ensure that if we want to bring back that life into downtown. And by the way, that figure, that's roughly, uh, uh, somebody told me that's roughly the figure, uh, the equivalent of two uh, Republic Square buildings. That's that tallest building in downtown Denver. Two of those, that's how much leasing is down uh, in, in our in our civic core. Uh, I think it's in the city's interest to bring that back. You're not gonna bring that back If you don't have a way for people to come down here, you don't have a way for in the park when they do get down here and you don't have roads for them to, uh, to get down here in the first place.
0: I am speaking with Kelly Sloan, Executive Director of the Freedom to Drive Coalition. You mentioned a couple of business uh, businesses and, and uh, companies that aren't going to be downtown. Any- One of them is Rialto Cafe, where it's, it's a place <laughs> where my wife and I had a, actually our first date, uh, what, 20-something years ago. Um, and, wow. and I was just also reading RTD, our uh, local transit authority, is looking at doing service changes in January, and they're getting some public feedback. As part of their service changes I was looking over today, they are looking at reducing the frequency of trains all around the city into the city core in the evenings. I think, again, because there are fewer events. There's no shows going on down at the performing arts complexes. We're not seeing uh, Nuggets games and Avalanche games and Rockies games that folks can go That's to right. at this time. Uh, or, or Broncos games, You know, not, not that they're always in the evening, but I think it's a another sign that there are so few people coming into a downtown area. We really need to have that ability to drive. Don't close off the streets to encourage people to come back to the area that's being choked off and killed right now,
1: right? Well, our, I mean, RTD revenue is down seventy-five percent right now. Okay, uh, you know, their their rider, uh, you know, their, their ridership is down by by a similar number. Uh, yeah. Plus, you've got not not just going into downtown, but you've got entire areas of the city that are, you know, what we like to call transit deserts that just don't have the the access to to mass transit. Probably never will. You know, we're uh, again, we are a very Spread out city. We're very, you know we're we're a very uniquely Western city. Uh, we're a very outdoor city. We take pride in that. You know that you know this is a uh, you know we're in the edge of the mountains. We are a very healthy city. People like to get outdoors. People like to bike. Uh, but part of that means that we're not a really dense. You know we're not Singapore or Hong Kong or New York or you know a city like that where uh, mass transit really makes sense. It makes sense along a couple arteries. But we just have entire areas of the city that aren't serviced by uh, by RTD to any uh, significant uh, effect. And what are those people supposed to do when they do need to get downtown or they need to get to another part of the city for, you know, they get, uh, you know for commerce or for a job or, you know, take their kids to school or whatever, whatever it may be. They need their vehicles. And, you know, it, it, we see a lot of these policies that are going beyond downtown as well. I mean, ultimately, you know, eventually the goal is they want to get rid of the internal combustion engine car. You know, they think it's a, a detriment to the planet. It's, uh, uh, I guess, regressive, whatever whatever their argument is. But they haven't come up with a viable alternative. You know, there's a lot of people out there that can't bike. You know, if you have, uh, if you're older, not, not in great shape, uh, you know, you can't bike, you know, 5, 10, 15, 20 miles one way every day to get to where you're going. If you have you know, three or four kids in tow, you're trying to get to school or to soccer practice or wherever. You're not going to put them on the back of a bike or wagon or whatever it is they, uh, you know, they they think the alternative is. So this is really a very myopic uh, policy on their part to, you know, try and force people away uh, away from vehicles. And the other point to that, going back to RTD, if their ridership and their revenue is down that much, uh, and yet we are spending all putting all this money into, into RTD for you know a very low percentage of the population that's using it. Why aren't we dividing that money up into you know, in, into different segments and putting the majority of the money into the infrastructure that a majority of the people are using? It just doesn't make sense to be pumping all this money into RTD when it's not being used and its, its use is fairly limited.
0: I'm speaking with Kelly Sloan, executive director of the Freedom to Drive Coalition, about driving in urban areas, driving all together, really, and some of the city leaders wanting to cut it off. Why do city leaders, in in your expert opinion, why do you think, not just in Denver, but in most large cities, why, why do you think they are so hell-bent, it seems, just to kill off any kind of driving in these cities?
1: Well, ultimately, it becomes an ideological argument, like, apparently everything seems to these days. Uh, The excuse normally used is uh, uh, an environmental reason that, you know, to to try and cut down on on emissions and and greenhouse gas and uh, uh, and, and that sort of thing. What they're ignoring is that newer vehicles, you know, the ones that are produced today are over more than 90% more efficient than the ones produced even 10 years ago or 15 years ago. Uh, the, the the tailpipe emissions have dwindled to uh, a minute fraction of what they used to be, and they're getting better every year. You know there's a there's a market incentive for the automobile manufacturers to create a more efficient, cleaner product, and they have uh, uh, because you know we we demand that you know as consumers we want to drive. All of us want you know we uh, I have a car, you have a car. A lot of us have have a you know uh, a lot of families have a couple of them. But we want them to be clean, you know. We don't. We don't want that brown cloud to return to Denver. You may remember, you know, what is it, 10 15 years ago? You you come over the, you know, come out of the mountains, you could see that brown cloud just hanging over Denver. It wasn't smoke; it was smog. We've pretty much cleaned that up now because of, you know, all these uh, you know, these advance uh, advances that the auto industry has put into their product. Uh, so that that that's one of the reasons that they uh, you know, that that, that they put out in. Probably their most potent one is that it's it's for the environment but uh, the other problem with that argument though is as they're restricting money going into road improvements or road expansions or they're cutting down lanes uh, Broadway for instance uh, Broadway and Lincoln uh, you know south of downtown there they've taken away an entire lane of traffic as you're probably aware for for a bike lane so what's that do to the traffic well the traffic you know the Drivers just don't decide. Well, heck, there's only two lanes there. I guess I'm just going to walk from, you know, Greenwood Village or Curie Creek or wherever I live. They're still going to drive down there, but you're going to be. It's going to be more congestion. You're going to be sitting in traffic for longer. You're going to. There's going to be more emissions uh, spewed in, in, in into the air from just sitting in traffic as you know, as we've created this congestion. It's it's all counterproductive. That's it's a problem with when ideology trumps reality. Uh, And again, the reality is that by vehicle is how most people transit from one part of the town to the other. Uh, There's no amount of well-wishing or even policy trying to force people into uh, other modes of transportation is going to be successful in doing that. People are still going to use cars. So the consequence of those policies are gonna be adverse to what you initially want them to be. If, you know, if it, uh, uh, whether it's environmental or it's congestion, you're just not gonna change behavior just by telling people that, you know we would rather you uh, take the bus or ride a bike or take a mule or whatever it happens to be. Uh, you're not gonna be able to change behavior just, just like that. People are, there's reasons for people to own cars. And so they're gonna keep driving. And if you make it harder on them, you're just going to create more, more and different problems.
0: I spoke to Tim Jackson with the Colorado Auto Dealers Association recently, and he did a study. They did, the Dealers Association did a study on South Broadway here in Denver mm-hmm. where they measured how many cars, how many people on buses, how many people on bikes and how many people were walking down that section of South Broadway where they've taken a bus lane and turned it from just a rush hour bus lane in the morning and afternoon to a 24-7 bus lane, which doesn't seem like it's the greatest use of space. Then take away another lane for uh, for bikes, again, taking away... Vehicle travel, whether it is a bus or ride chair, whatever, you could still move more vehicles than you can bikes through that corridor. It would be safer to move it a couple of streets over either direction. And so now you're squeezing what there were four or five lanes there at some sections, four lanes, down to basically just two, uh, sometimes three, to make your way into that same space. Um, it doesn't seem the smartest idea to take a river of vehicles if you can if you will all the way from a city core to a major highway and restrict it like you would restrict uh, uh, the flow of water in a hose it just doesn't seem that right. that smart I brought up one of these arguments to uh, the bike coalition last week I made a suggestion that the city should create maybe bike highways that are separate mm-hmm. from traffic like the bike Cherry Creek bike path, Uh, a a highway that could move bikes around the city, but they discounted that idea because the store in his, uh, in his argument or the restaurant that he likes or, or his work is not going to be on that path. So it's, it's not even worth trying.
1: Right. Uh, Again, this this goes to that, that ideological fallacy I was talking about that they, they have that they, you know, they have this vision of, you know, this rainbow and lollipops and unicorns world where, you know, everybody, Gets rid of their vehicles and you know rides bikes or electric trains or what what have you everywhere. It just doesn't comport with reality. Uh, you know again, it, it, and I'm uh, I'm reiterating myself, but we own vehicles for a number of reasons. You know for for the freedom, for the, uh, the mobility, for the convenience, uh, and we're not going to give that up just because somebody else thinks it's a good idea. So the consequences of policies that are being put in place to try and force us into this, uh, I guess, alternate reality or whatever you want to call it, uh, are going to have consequences beyond what the proponents in their heads think are are going to be the be the result. Uh, and you see, you know, you see it on on South Broadway and Lincoln. you see you see it downtown. Not so much right now because there's nobody coming downtown for other reasons. Uh, but you know, fifteenth, fifteenth uh, Street and Seventeenth Street, they took away uh, a lane and a turn lane for, uh, for for bikes only. They took away one for buses. And you know, pre-COVID, uh, you saw all kinds of uh, uh, snags. You know, as, as you well know, doing you know, doing what you do, uh, especially on on those two roads, you're not you're creating bigger and more problems because they're not addressing reality. They're they're uh, trying. They're just appealing to. This ideological fetish that uh, the car is bad, and that this is a better way to better way to do it. It's kind of like you know if if I if I believe that you know people would be much better off listening to Beethoven than Taylor Swift. So <laughs> you know I, I make it law that uh, you know the, the Mile High Stadium can you know can only play you know uh, you know chamber orchestra concerts and you know Taylor Swift is going to be confined to you know little bars. People are not going to stop going to trying to go to Taylor Swift concerts. And it's not a perfect analogy, but that's that's the c- kind of the mindset that they have. That you know, just because they think this is better for people, and they're going to try and put this policy in effect, uh, that doesn't mean you know people are not going to abide by it just out of you know because the the state or the city says they says they need to.
0: And, they, and and Taylor Swift would cause quite the traffic jam and pedestrian jam if she was in the, <laughs> playing just in these smaller little venues. I'm yeah, exactly. I'm speaking with Kelly Sloan, the executive director of the Freedom to Drive Coalition. You can also read his stuff in Colorado politics and the Washington Examiner. One of the major themes I heard last time in my interview with uh, Rob Toffness was that no one needs to drive a large truck. he He kept reiterating f one fifty on downtown streets it's as if big trucks or any trucks at all are evil um, and he, he he just relented on that it doesn't matter if it, if you are really driving i I, te- I drive a little chevy volt mainly because of the economics of it because it doesn't take much maintenance uh, not much gas and actually it's a, it's a great little car um sure. but it, his his mindset was always on these f150s and nobody needs to drive them ever especially in a downtown road that and and that and that these trucks are just mowing down bike riders and pedestrians left and right without uh, concern for anybody's well-being it, it, it yeah. and I was asking him about is it really the vehicle size is it the type of vehicle is it is it just people driving vehicles all together um, I I really think it's more about people being distracted um, in their vehicle does not necessarily a size when people get hurt, from somebody getting hit either on a bike or, or as a pedestrian.
1: Right. Well, and, you know, uh, some, some of the onus has to be on the bicycle rider, too, to be paying attention when they're blowing through intersections and, uh, you know, and and, and you know and not paying attention. Now, nobody wants to see any more bicyclists get hurt or killed, uh, least of all us. Uh, uh, but, you know, to, to say that nobody needs an F-150, uh, How is that his decision? I mean, how how does he know what somebody needs to have and what they don't? You know, how how does he know what their business is? You know, how does he know what they do on the weekend? If they're, uh, you know, if they own an acreage or or a farm, they need to haul a horse trailer or they have a a, a, a small business uh, where they need to haul a trailer or haul something.
0: Then keep it out Uh, of my city is what he would say.
1: uh, but then, what's you know, what what's his call? What, how does he know why you're in the city? You know, yep. perhaps you bank there. Perhaps you want to take your family out to to dinner one night. I mean, there's a certain arrogance to to this argument that, uh, that, that these people know better. That you know they're they're more virtuous. They're they're far better people than than the rest of us are because you know they they ride a bike uh, or. or or they they make a different decision what they're really trying to do is just take the decision away from you as to what type of vehicle you drive and where you drive it they think they know better than you do of how to run your life how to run your business how to take care of your family what you do on the weekends where you do it uh you know there's a certain arrogance there that I, i think uh is unappealing to any american whether you're uh, left, right, center, Republican, Democrat. This is not a partisan issue. This is simply uh, a reality issue that you know there are there are reasons that people own larger vehicles and uh, SUVs. Uh, and look, maybe maybe there is no maybe there is no reason, but it's not his place to tell you or I or anybody out there uh, what type of vehicle they should be driving. I don't pass judgment. You know, look, if anybody wants to ride a ride their bike to work from Highlands ranch, more power to them. I, I, you know, people want to own electric vehicles. I think that's great. We as an association disagree with mandates on the industry that they have to uh, sell, you know, keep uh, trying to sell a certain percentage of them. You know, I think the market should determine that if the market determines that, uh, you know, people want electric vehicles, then electric vehicles will be bought. We're perfectly fine with that. If the market, determines that people don't want to end up not wanting to drive and want to bike 20 miles a day one week fine let the market do that but don't use the use the force of government to try and pass along your version of virtue or your ethics to everybody else
0: i think arrogance was a good word because i i did feel that in my interview last time if people want to go back and listen to that From uh, last week. One of the other arguments that they brought up in my interview was that streets are public. And when cities allow residents to park their car in front of their house, that's a form of subsidized parking because they would rather see that space used as a bike lane on all streets and have nobody park on any street and have them open for walking or biking, really only, and not really having anybody drive anywhere, that they should either, and, and that people, if they do park in front of their house on those public streets, that they should either pay for that use, or better yet, just never be allowed to park on any public street ever, because it's not for the common good. Do you agree with that sentiment?
1: No, I think it's an interesting uh, argument, concerning that most of the uh, uh, transportation dollars come from gasoline tax, which bicyclists aren't paying. uh, uh and and uh, registration fees, which bicyclists aren't paying. If they want to make that argument, then you know, perhaps they, they should be advocating for bicyclists paying for their bike lanes. Uh,
0: Maybe we can have a high occupancy bike lane and have it, call it a hob. <laughs> yeah,
1: exactly. <laughs> uh, you, know, the, uh, you know, one of the arguments uh, concerning with the, with the electric vehicles as well with, uh, uh, transportation infrastructure spending is that you know the uh, uh, electric vehicle owners aren't paying perhaps their fair share
0: oh I'm pay- I'm be- paying my share because yeah. I, I as, <laughs> as having an electric car there is a subcharge a a surcharge that I'm paying specifically for owning a car that's uh, partially electric
1: right uh, but the the argument goes up because you know gasoline taxes which are uh, uh Diminishing resource since you know, as vehicles are becoming more efficient, more electric vehicles are on the road. That 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 source of revenue is not meeting the uh, uh, the transportation requirements that it should. But there's there's still you know gasoline users are still paying for it. Uh, I don't know what bicyclists think they're paying for on the roads. How they're uh, how their use is getting uh, translated into public dollars. uh, uh, Besides this normal sales tax, which generally goes to other things, uh, if he's advocating for bicyclists to pay some kind of fee for bike lanes or a registration fee to be on the road, uh, I think that's something we could talk about, and that might give his argument a little bit more merit.
0: No, I think they Uh, want reparations from car owners and vehicle owners to go and to keep maintaining the roads that they want to use for just bikes and pedestrians.
1: Well, and then to complain that, uh, parking spots are subsidized when, you know, they're using these, uh, bike lanes for free, taking away from the vehicles that are paying for it, uh, again, I think that that's, that's more than a little, uh, uh disingenuous
0: on his part. Finally, what do you think cities will look like in five years, 10 years, 25 years. Is it going to be status quo? Is there going to be a mix of more bike lanes, pedestrian lanes, and, and cars, or, or will it be a a world of basically no cars and all bike lanes and pedestrian lanes?
1: Well, I don't think it's going to be a world of no cars. I mean, the, uh, the answer to that question would have been a lot different a year ago than, than it is now. Um, you know, it's, well, it's going to depend a lot on, uh, Overall, urban policy—you know what we're—you know it's right now what we're seeing in you know, with the reduction of services and loss of businesses in uh, places like downtown Denver and other major urban areas—is again largely due to the to the COVID pandemic and and the shutdowns. Uh, but there's other factors as well. You know, even with restrictions lifting, a lot of people don't want to come into your City because we're having you know uh, some. Uh, Increased crime problems, you know, the, the uh, continuing unrest and a lot of the uh, uh, arguments for defunding police, that kind of thing, which, you know, are leading to, in my opinion, an, an increase in, in crime and violent crimes street crime in particular. That's playing into it. So how how that issue gets dealt with is, is going to have an impact on what, what the cities look like. Uh, there's lots of other things that, uh, in my opinion, Denver is doing that are contributing to. The death of the inner city uh all kinds of higher taxes every every election year there's a, a ballot for in denver city and denver county there's ballot measures to uh, for some kind of increase in taxes you know we've got the we had the uh green roofs mandate which is uh piling on costs for uh developers and leasers and uh owners of buildings so you put all this it, it's kind of a comprehensive uh it all kind of compounds on itself add on top of all that policies that keep people from driving downtown Uh, if we do see an inner city that is without vehicles it's not going to be the utopia that the proponents or the the, I guess the opponents of of the internal combustion engine vehicle uh, envision it's going to be more of a dystopia Uh, it's going to be because the, the inner cities have been decaying and being choked off from the commerce and the life and the you know the influx and the traffic that they need to stay alive and to thrive and be, uh, you know, these vibrant cities that you know we all, uh, uh, you know, we, we all recognize and quite frankly miss.
0: Less like Stockholm so, and and uh, Amsterdam now, and more like Detroit back in the early eighties.
1: Well, potentially, if we if, you know if we don't if we don't make some changes and uh, you know if our if our policies don't start to try and reflect the reality. You know, if, we, if if we keep making policy based on pure ideology, uh you know, these uh, we're going to we're going to see the consequences of that. If we instead start making policies based on uh you know, again, based on based on reality and based on, you know, what's actually best for the city and its residents and uh, and its business owners, we can turn this around. Uh, we're not gonna be able to turn it around. We're not gonna be able to turn, you know, bring downtown Denver back uh by choking off vehicle traffic and you know, trying to force people into alternate forms of transportation that they just aren't gonna use.
0: Kelly, thanks again for all your insight, your time. If someone wants to get a hold of you, how can they do that?
1: Oh, you can uh uh follow me on Twitter at, at KVstone twenty-five. Uh uh, that's probably the best way to get hold of you uh, shoot me an email at kvsloan at gmail.
0: There you go. Uh, Kelly Sloan, the executive director of the Freedom to Drive Coalition. You can also read his uh, articles there in the Colorado Politics or Washington Examiner. Thanks again, Kelly, for all your insight. Appreciate it.
1: Thank you. Appreciate the time.
0: That Twitter handle again is KV, V as in Vancouver, since Kelly is Canadian, KV Sloan 25, uh, and that's the Twitter handle there. And you can read his stuff in the Washington Examiner or in Colorado Politics. I, I still think the city will continue to change streets over to make them more inconvenient for drivers. I think that's what their directive is. I think that's what will happen no matter what the other side says, uh, not just in Denver, but other large metropolitan areas it, it's eventually going to lead to fewer people from the outside of a central core from coming into it except for large-scale events like a, a sports game a, that we're, we're like in in denver we have uh the rocky stadium in, in basically the downtown area same thing with the uh, Pepsi Center for avalanche and nuggets games and and right across the highway from downtown is uh, the Mile High Stadium. so it, it, for big events, people will still use transit and the buses and the trains and and rideshare to get to these events just because it is obviously a, a congested time when you have these big events sometimes like it going to a ball game it's it's real easy to use those ways to get down to the ball game, because uh, maybe you want to leave the game later and then uh, head over to one of the bars and grab something to eat or grab a drink or whatever. Um, but I think then they will just leave. You're not really going to see a whole lot of people just coming in for other entertainment to just go out to eat or go to a bar or whatever into these downtown cores because it's going to be more difficult to get around, more inconvenient to get around, probably more expensive to get around. If they start eliminating more parking, because that will then become a premium. And I've always thought, if if a city really wants to eliminate people coming into a downtown area and stop driving and stop parking, make parking outrageously expensive. Demand that the parking rate is fifteen dollars an hour, and you are going to get much uh, fewer people parking in these cities. Um, that's just that's that's going to be the reality. Dep- people are going to always vote with their pocketbook first, and if it's going to cost him too much money to go somewhere, then they're not going to do it. And after both interviews, last week and this week, what I said on the show that started all this conversation a couple of weeks ago, I, I was spot on. Will I get an apology from Rob on his Twitter rant against me that, that started off my uh, asking him to be on the show? Doubtful. He basically said I was a hacked journalist for not having any facts for what I was saying, And and that what I was saying was not true. I have facts. I do a lot of research and talk to a lot of people involved in city planning and transportation in general. I don't talk about that in in a lot here. I'm sure it's more than 95% of anyone else doing traffic updates on television or radio, probably for that matter. I, I won't be surprised when I don't receive a Christmas card either from Rob this year. But if you want to send me a Christmas card, you sure can. <laughs> it's, here's the address. It's 123 uh, Spear Boulevard, Denver, Colorado, 80203. Now, since I'm really not allowed in the building yet, I, I, I guess I could probably go to the mail room, but it's way downtown, and I'm way down south. And So when, when, whenever they allow me back in the building next spring or summer, I'll, I'll get your Christmas card. So. Go ahead and send it in anyway. Maybe they'll notify me that I have some I have some mail there in the mailroom. Anyway, thanks again for listening. Thanks again to Kelly for uh, being here on the show. And until next time, I'm Jason Liber, the traffic guy. Be safe and as always, happy motoring.